God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you help Pastor Debbie on her team, will you just stand up? Because, you know, this couldn't happen without you guys. And so I just want y'all to take a minute and honor them in the time that they have spent. Um, Serving. to spend a few minutes kind of introducing myself to you so that we're not strangers, although we probably are a little bit of strangers. But um, I do have three boys. I've been married almost 17 years. Um, My oldest son, Christian, is 14. Uh, Caleb is 11 and Joel is nine. And so when I kind of describe my life, I say we're all about band, boys, and baseball. Um, Because my oldest one is a freshman this year in high school and he plays in the band. And I'll brag on him a little bit. He is second chair trumpet and the best band. There's two bands in the high school. So as a freshman, he's second chair in the best band in high school. So I'm like, you go, baby. Get those scholarships for college is what I'm thinking uh, in that. And then my middle son is your typical boy. He is all about um, playing, getting dirty. He has played every organized sport there is to play. And yet he has the, the biggest time just being in the neighborhood, just in, in the neighborhood with the boys, riding bikes, exploring. And so uh, my husband and I totally believe that's perfectly fine. You don't have to be involved in everything to be successful. So he's free to do that. And then my youngest is a baseball fanatic. He is only nine and has been playing baseball since he was five. And he loves it. I got a, I got a text throughout this morning because they were playing about where we are and how he did. And they called me. Um, when we were at lunch, you know, Mama, we lost, but I did really good. I mean, he's a very, he could be president, you know, he always spins it, you know, really well. He did really good, but, but they lost. So um, my husband, Craig, is an um, emergency room nurse. He's been in emergency room nursing since he graduated from nursing school, so about um, eight or nine years now. And he charges um, at nights at Louisville Medical Center. So they work, you know, 12-hour shifts, so three out of the four nights, he's gone. So um, life in our house is pretty busy with just me and the boys and him kind of going in and out and, and doing life, but um, I love it. I, w- I would not have it any other way. So I do oversee um, the women's ministry from my campus in Frisco. Uh, Pink is what um, Gateway, Gateway Southlake calls their women's ministry, and so I oversee Pink, and I'm really excited. We've launched into home groups uh, last week, and our campus is growing, and I've been a part of very large women's ministry as on staff uh, in Houston with Pastor Joel and Victoria Osteen's church. And so I've been a part of a law, or large women's ministry, and it's so cool to just kind of start at the ground floor, you know, and, and build based on very great foundations that uh, Pastor Debbie Morris has. And so um, I, it's just a great time, I think, to be involved in ministry and to be involved with women. I love women. Um, we're, we're not perfect, right? But... <laughs> We're, we can be we can be fun to be around with, so I enjoy uh, women's ministry. So that kind of catches you up. I live in Frisco now. We've been there about um, three years, um, and I'm, I I love North Dallas. Someone at lunch was commenting about um, the traffic in Houston, and that it was harder. They felt like it was harder to get around Houston than it was Dallas. And I said, Oh no, no, I have to disagree because Houston, there's only like really five major freeways. You know, Dallas, y'all have like 25, and they all have three different names. You know, can we not just keep can 635 not just be 635? Why does it have to be LBJ and, I don't know, and Northwest Highway? And I, I get so confused. So at least in, in Houston, 
you have certain freeways. Now, if you do get stuck in traffic, you're stuck. There, there's no alternate routes in Houston. Whereas Dallas, there is. Y'all can get around a little easier, but uh, we're enjoying the Metroplex and, and, um, and living here. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to kind of jump right into what I feel like the Lord's given me um, to share with you this afternoon. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. I, I thank you for these women, Lord, that have, Lord, some time. Lord, they've sent resources, Lord, to be here today, Father. And you said, Father, you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek after you. So I thank you, Father. You're going to reward these women over this weekend, Father. You've already rewarded them, God. You've given them specific words, Lord. You're refreshing them in worship, Father. You're taking them to a new level. And so, Father, as we enter into this afternoon session, God, I just ask that you would come and dwell amongst us, Lord. Your word says we're two or more gathered in your name. You're in the midst of us, Father. And I I felt your presence so strongly during worship. And we just ask, Lord, that you would sit among us. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, what you want to speak to all of us in this afternoon. Father, we, we thank you, Father, for, for, for coming and being with us, Lord. We thank you for that, Father. We love you. And we give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When Pastor Debbie and I started um, conversing about this, and she told me your theme was focus, um, I started asking the Lord, you know, where do you want me to, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to start from? And he said, go back to Hebrews 12. And I said, Lord, I have, I have been in Hebrews 12 now for probably six or seven months. This is the third teaching I have done all different out of Hebrews 12. And I kept really battling with him. I'm like, you can't really, Lord, back to Hebrews 12. It's really, you know, I don't think that's what you want. And I mean, we went back and forth and then uh, Pastor Robert preached a message, and he said something out of Hebrews 12, and the Lord was like, I've, I've already told you what to teach. You know? So if you have your Bibles, you can open it. I think you got an outline um, when you came in. But um, I love this about God's Word because it's alive and active and powerful. So it's kind of like a diamond or a prism. You know, you can see a scripture, and you can even have memorized it, and it could have been life-changing to you in a previous situation, and then you come across it again, and God just speaks something new. He just speaks something different to you out of it. And so that's my hope, and that's what he's done for me out of Hebrews 12, verse 1. And it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Hebrews 12, 1 flows right out of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 a lot of times is referred to the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, it names all these people, and it says, By faith, Noah built an ark, you know, even though there was no rain. By faith, Sarah was able to conceive Isaac, even though she was past childbearing age. You know, by faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. So it's talking about these ordinary people in the Bible that, that, that messed up. You can look at each of their lives, and their mess-ups are recorded in here. So they weren't super spiritual. They didn't have it all together. And yet, in these situations, they chose to believe God. That was all it is. They just chose to believe what God had told them and be obedient to it, and God used them in extraordinary ways. And so when we come into to chapter 12, it's saying, therefore, we also, we're a part of that. We can do extraordinary things despite our circumstances, despite what things look like if we believe God. And so it starts out saying we're included with them. We're, we're a part of that. And it, and it talks about they're witnessing, they're cheering us on. And it goes on and says, let us, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And I just thought out of this to the Frisco girls. And that, that phrase, lay aside, in the Greek literally means to put something down and to push it away forcibly beyond reach. I mean, you know, there's some things in our life that we need to lay down 
and forcibly push them away beyond reach. And that's what it's saying. It's saying there's some weights and there's some sins in our life that need to be laid down, pushed away to where we can't put them back up. And there's a difference in, notice it doesn't say sin. There's a difference in weight and sin. You can have a weight in your life that's holding you back on your race that's not a sin. And what, I, what the Lord told me to tell the girls in Frisco was um, a weight of guilt. You know, if you define guilt out, it can be defined in two different ways. Guilt is a condition and guilt is an emotion. Guilt is a condition is, I stole your TV, I'm guilty. Guilt is an emotion is, I'm sick and can't go to work today and I feel guilty, I'm going to put someone else in a bind. You understand? Two different versions of guilt. And so that emotion, that intense feeling of guilt will hold you back from running your race. And so then we talked about there's sin. Sin is anything that God tells us to, not to do or to do and we don't do is sin, right? Just disobedience to God. And so and, and we talked with the Frisco girls about the sin of weight, of worry. You know, God says in Matthew 6, do not worry. He says it again in Philippians, do not worry. And so that can be a sin that as we're running our race can hold us back. And so as I prayed, the Lord said, you know, the theme is focus, that we've got to focus, that we've got a race to run, you know. We've got a race to run. And it's, it's specific to us, okay? You have a race to run. I have a race to run. Your race is not going to look like my race. And my race is not going to look like your race. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay because we have to realize that we're on this race. It's our Christian life. That's what it's talking about. It's our Christian life. Some of us are further on our race than others. Some of us may have just started. None of us know when the end of our race will come. But if we're all still here breathing air, which we all are, right? Right now, everybody's still breathing air, right? So we're not done with our race. God's still got a purpose and a point for us. And so he said, encourage the girls. Tell them, look, focus on. You've got a race to run. I have predestined or ordained a race for you to run. In the Amplified Bible, it says it's an appointed race. And the NIV says it's a race marked out for us. It's a race marked out for you. We're not, we're all running the Christian, we're all, we're all doing Christian life, right? We're all a part of a collective race. But my race is going to look a little different than yours. And that's okay. But God said, focus on the fact that I have a race for you to run. It's specific for you. It's custom designed for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. Have you ever thought about why am I living in 2011 in Granbury or Benbrook or North Dallas or someone's here from Conroe, which is close to Houston, you know? Why am I living in, in 2011 in the city that I'm living in? Why do I have the sphere of influence that I have? You know, God could have put you on the earth back in the 1400s. You know, he could have put you on the earth, I don't know, 2100. I don't even know how you would say that. But, you know, but he chose this time. Why is that? Because he's got a specific race for you to run. He's got a purpose that only you can fulfill. It's custom designed for you. And each of you have unique gifts and talents that he's given to you so that you can run this race, so that you can be successful on your race. God doesn't set us up to fail, girls. He really doesn't. And so he's given you gifts and talents. And somebody just thought, well, you don't know me. I don't have any gifts. Well, I would beg, beg to differ because God's word doesn't lie. And 1 Peter 4.10 says each of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. It doesn't say some of you have a gift. It doesn't say you've got to wait until you're, you know, 40 to get your gifts. It says each of you should use whatever gifts. You've been given a gift. Maybe your gift is not, my gift is not to sing. My gift is not to play 
um, the, the keyboard or, or bang the bongos. I would love to do that. And I, I sometimes think I have rhythm, but I don't. But I, I can tap my foot, you know, as she plays. But we all have gifts. We all have gifts that God has given to us. I heard this statistic um, several months ago, and I have a little analytical mind. Y'all will learn that about me. Um, and so I thought, how do you really verify that this statistic is true? And so I don't know, but we're going we're gonna to go with it. And the statistic said that there had been 70 billion human beings that had walked the face of the earth. Since the beginning of time until now, 70 And I thought, well, how, you know, they didn't take attendance every day. You know, how do they really know that? And what about people lost in the flood? Did they count them? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm very analytical. But I thought, okay, we're going to go with it. So think about this. 70 billion human beings. There has never been anyone just like you. There's never one been anyone created with your unique gifts, talents, fingerprints, DNA, personality, likes and dislikes poured into one person, and there will never be anyone with your exact fingerprint, DNA, likes, dislikes, personality, background poured into one. And it's not because God's not a creative God. It's because he created you specifically with a purpose. That's how special you are. That is how uniquely, how divine design, as as Mary's been talking about, that you were created because he has a purpose for you to fill. She referenced this verse, and I was so cute. I asked to look at the outline because I couldn't remember. I knew it was in my outline, but I didn't know if it was in your outline, and it's not. But it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's, it's, I would love for you to read it out of the Message Bible if you, if you have a message version because it just puts it in really good today's terms. But it's the Apostle Paul, and he's trying to explain the importance of the body of Christ, and he's relating it to our physical body. And so in the Message Bible, it says, could, could, could the ear say, and she, she examined this, I think, last night. Could the ear say, well, I'm not like the eye. I'm not lipid. I'm not expressive. I can't blink. So I must not be important. Would you want to remove it from your head? No, right? None of us would. We know the importance of the ear. And yet it's the same with us. We think whatever our gift or talent is, is not as important as what's done on the platform. And so we think we're not important. And yet, girls, if you don't have people greeting people at the door... There's not going to be anybody in here to be preached to or to be led into worship because if people don't feel welcomed, if they don't feel included, they're not going to stay. If you don't have someone that's gifted in decorating or creativity or to do crafts for the kids, people are not going to stay because all that plays a part. All of our gifts and our talents work together to produce the body of Christ. And so what we have to learn to do is accept the gifts and talents that God's given us rather than looking and wishing we were like someone else. I can remember being, I don't know, 18, 19, and telling the Lord, um, you should have made me a man. And I was not having a gender identity crisis. Y'all don't get worried. Um, but I simply felt like my personality, how God had put me together, kind of lent itself more to a, a, a man. I am, there's not a spontaneous bone in my body. If it's not been on the calendar for three months and you throw it at me, We'll have a hard time with it. I mean, lists, schedules, programs. Um, I don't like to shop. I am not girly, girly. Anything you see me wear, either someone else has picked out and told me to put this together, or I've seen it on someone else and taken notes, not lying. I will look at someone and go, okay, that looks cute. I can, I can buy a black T-shirt. I have jeans. I can, okay, that, it's just not me. I don't like any of that. I can't decorate my house. Um, I, I just felt like I'm a little bit... Um, I have a little bit of a strong personality. My husband would say, I'm very competitive, very competitive. Like, that's why my youngest had to call and go, Mom, you know, I, I hit it up the center. I stole second. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm very competitive. So I, I felt like that wasn't normal. 
And what the Lord told me, you know, as I grew in my relationship with him, he's like, who defines normal? I created you. I created you. I don't care what the media defines as a typical or a normal girl. I created you with a purpose. And so just because you may not be like anyone else, you know, maybe you love to shop. That's great. Come be my friend. I mean, I would love to one day be rich and go, here's my money. Here's my size. I'm very boring and conservative. Pick me stuff out and bring it back, you know, like a personal shopper or something. You know, we need all a part of the body. But none of it makes us any greater than anyone else. Because we're created by God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, put you together, gave you the desires that you have, gave you the the, um, giftings and talents. That's why a woman who desires to stay at home and be that homemaker that finds so much fulfillment in that is is not any greater or any less than, than someone that serves in the corporate world. You know, if there was no women in the corporate world, God, there would be no ambassadors, you know? There would be, God's light would not be shining in that area. But we need moms called to stay at home to raise kids. So see, it's all of us working together. It's none of it in a greater hierarchy or a lesser hierarchy. It, we're all put together. Now, we have weaknesses that we need to work on, and that's okay. But what I just want to encourage you today is accept who God's made you to be. Revel in the strengths that you have. I love Joyce Meyer says in her book, The Confident Woman, she said that she had played piano or or used to take piano lessons or whatever. And she said, you know, if I worked and worked on my piano skills, is what she even puts it in quotes, she said, I could maybe, you know, on a scale of one to ten, she's like, maybe I'm at a four. If I really practice and worked and worked, I can maybe move myself up to five or six, maybe or seven. And she said, but I've been gifted to teach and to preach. And so like on the scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably a 7 at that. If I hone and work on that part, I could be a 9 or 10. And so we spend so much time working on our weaknesses that we don't focus on the strength that God's given us, that he wants to refine in us, that he needs to use us in. So the Lord said, tell him, focus on your race. I have equipped and designed you to run a race. I have given you everything you need to do to be successful on that race. And the only way you will not be successful is if you quit. That's the only way you will not be successful is if you quit. You know, I, the, Paul uses this reference of a race, and I was thinking about a marathon. And if you watch, I've never ran a marathon, but if you like see them on TV, um, you know how they get all excited, you know, they're all at the line, and you can just tell their excitements are building, and they're They've got all their numbers on and everything's great. And then the, the gun goes off and they just take off in this, this whirlwind. You know, people, and I've heard people that have run them say, you know, like I, I ran, you know, the first couple of miles, the fastest pace I ever had because they got caught up in the adrenaline and the excitement. And then about mile 14, 15, the tedium sets in. You start feeling your calf muscles, you know, are burning and, and the crowd has thinned out. You're kind of like, on your own. You don't see as many. There's not, you don't have cheerleaders on the side cheering you on. But then when they get over that hump to about mile 19, 20, or 21, then the crowd starts picking up, and they see the finish line, and they think, I can do that. Well, that's kind of like our Christian walk. You know, we get saved. We're excited. We're in our Bible. We're in the Word. We feel like God's answering our prayers. We can't wait to be at church. We're there every time the door opens. You know, we're telling everybody about Jesus, and then we kind of get on our race, and life happens. And God starts saying, okay, put your big girl panties on, you know, pick your sword up, you know, let's take our pampers off, let's, 
let's mature. And so those prayers not be, might not be answered as quickly or he, or he brings us through some things and it gets a little hard. But if we don't quit, what happens is we walk through those things we realize how faithful God is. You know, he shows himself faithful to us. We receive strength. We mature. We're able to bring people alongside of us and encourage them on their race until we see the finish line. And so the only way we don't make it is if we quit. And there's going to be bumps in life, right? There's going to be bumps in the road. Life is hard. Life is hard. None of us have it all together. We are all running this race. And life is hard. There's bumps that come up in the world. But that's why God says in John to be of good cheer. He says, listen, girls, I know what you're going to face. I know what you faced last week. I know what you're going to face in November. I've already provided everything you need. I know what you're going to face 10 years from now. If we'll call unto him, he'll answer us. He'll show us. And he says, so don't be concerned about what's all going on in the world. I got you. I know what you're going to face. I got everything you need on this race. And so he says, focus on me. Don't give up. Don't quit. And don't look back. I think Mary talked, uh, touched on this, but I was thinking as I was driving um, here this weekend how, you know, you've probably heard this illustration, how your windshield is way bigger than your rearview mirror. And, you know, the Apostle Paul talks in Philippians about focusing on this one thing, forgetting those things in the past. And the Lord brought me along that scripture recently, and I always kind of looked at that as like not looking at my past failures. You know, how many of you know you can constantly look back and be like, hey, God, you remember when I did that? I messed up, you know, and you just constantly look in the past. But the Lord said is not only can failures hold you back, and she touched on this, but successes can. You know, I I shared that when we we moved, um, we've been in Frisco about three years, and so my husband came to me and said, "Um, I think we're supposed to move to Dallas. And and I was like, I think you're wrong. Um, (laughs) I didn't say that out loud. Actually, literally what came out of my mouth was, um, are you trying to pick a fight with me? (laughs) Is what I said. Because I was extremely happy. I was extremely content in in my job, in my ministry, and where my kids were. I was just really happy. And like the Lord does, you know, he worked on me for a little while. And so I finally come back around and I said, okay, Lord, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe this man that you gave me has heard from the Lord and, you know, we're (laughs) supposed to move. And so we did. And, um... I left, a, I, I was working for Pastor Joel and Victoria Osteen, the women's ministry, so I left a job that I loved. I left a house. Um, I moved to a city where I didn't know anyone. Um, we were visiting churches. We were building a house, so we were living in a two-bedroom apartment with three boys on the second floor. On the second floor, a two-bedroom apartment with three boys. And for the first time in my life since the age of 15, I was not working, and my youngest went to kindergarten. Can anybody say Transition. I would get up, I'm in this little bitty apartment, all my kids are in school, I have no friends, I have no connections, and I am like, what have you done to me, Lord? You know, you've done this to me, or this man that you gave me has done this to me. Um, And so it was a huge transition for me. It was not easy. I did not go through with flying colors. There was lots of bumps um, in the the road. But um, during that, that, that transition, I kept looking back, and I kept saying, God, it was so good. You know, I, I was being used. I was happy. I had friends. It was so good. And finally the Lord said, you know, have I, am I stopped, have I stopped being in the business of goodness? You know, if I've brought you from that, would I not give you something even better? And I was like, yeah, Lord, when? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we do that. It's like, that's great, Lord. Could you tell me on my three-month plan when, what day that would be? But, 
But it's so true. You know, even in the good things, if God's brought you from a good thing, he's got something better. He's got something better. Because that's a God. That's who our God is. He says, I know the thoughts and plans I have for you. They're good thoughts to give you a hope and a future. He says, I am causing all things to work together for your good. And so we have to realize that we can't keep looking back, good or bad. We cannot keep our focus in the background. And then if we're going to run our race successfully, we need to surround ourselves with cheerleaders. Every one of us probably in here have been hurt by another woman in a relationship, right? That's so sad to say. I'm sorry. I mean, I have, you know, because we're fallible people, right? We are fallible people. We're not God. We're not perfect. But I want to encourage you, and I think Mary did this so excellent this morning. I want to encourage you to find you some friends, to find you some cheerleaders. I want to encourage you, if you're not walking through some hurt, to be cheerleaders for other people. It's like when you're running that marathon and they get towards the end and they see the crowd, they see the signs. Girls, we need to be people that are cheering others on. Stop competing with one another and cheer each other on. Stop being jealous of what someone's going through, but saying, you know what? I'm here for you. I rejoice in your successes. I'm excited for what God's done in your life. In 1 Thessalonians, the Lord says that we're here to encourage one another and build each other up. That's, that's a reason that we're still here. In Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the gathering together. You're, you're doing that by being here. So I feel like I'm probably preaching to the choir. But I want to encourage you to encourage others, not only believers. You know, you will be shocked at unbelievers if you will sow some encouragement into their life, how quickly they will be um, open to the gospel. Because people are not being encouraged these days. They are constantly hearing what they've done wrong. They'll never, they'll never make it. The economy's so bad. I mean, watch the news. And anybody could be depressed. But if you'll sow some encouragement in their life, that'll, that'll stir up some fertile ground. Girls, they will be open to the gospel. And so encourage one another. Encourage one another here. If you see a gift in someone, call it out. Say, hey, you need to be using that. Help connect people into their place. Spur one another on in this race. And so the Lord said, tell them. Tell them to focus on the race. He said, but I want you to dive into a weight. Earlier in that scripture, remember, it said lay aside every weight and the sin. He said, I want you to dive into a weight that I think is holding some women back. And that is the weight of comparison. You know, if you define comparison, that root word compare means to examine the character and qualities of something in order to determine the similarities or the differences. Okay, so some of you, when you hear comparison, you go, that's me, 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 me. I do it all the time. And some of you think, I don't really have a problem in that area. But I really think if you'll be honest with yourself, you will be shocked at how ingrained this spirit of comparison is in our society. So let me take you on a little test, okay? So we're talking about comparison. The number one way we compare is with others. So just think about this morning, okay? You drove up, you walked in. So how many times did you look at someone and compare similar differences and think, gosh, she's so much cuter than I am. Her hair looks great. She's skinnier than I am. I wish my hair looked like that. Or, oh my gosh, why she got those shoes on or that doesn't match or, right? I mean, we compare ourselves with other financially. Her car's nicer than mine. Her house is nicer than mine. Her jewelry's nicer than mine. I mean, we do it intellectually. You may have been sitting at lunch today in a conversation and thought, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe she just said that. (laughs) What was she thinking? You know, or you heard someone say something and you thought, gosh, I wish I had that kind of creative ability. I wish I had that kind of input into a conversation. Right? We do it spiritually. You know, you may think, gosh, I wish I was like Pastor Debbie that I could get up and encourage the women. I'll never hear God like she does. 
comparison. We compare ourselves with others. We compare ourselves with our own ideas, where we think we should be in life. You know, I remember January this year when it came around, I remember sitting in my office and thinking, oh, I set goals for 2010. So I told you how strange my personality is. So we moved to Frisco in 2008. So I had big plans for 2009. And 2009 did not go the way I had planned at all, at all. So I thought, I didn't set any goals. That's why it didn't go the way I planned. So 2010 is going to go the way I planned because I'm going to set some goals. So 2010 rolls around, and I type on my computer this real pretty sheet, you know, of goals. Here's my top five goals. And I had a little border around them. And I'm sure they probably sat on my desk, you know, for probably the first two or three weeks of 2010. Who knows? You know, and then probably got thrown away with lunch menus or band schedules or who, who knows the amount of paperwork that comes in that it probably got thrown away with. So fast forward to 2011, January this year, and I remember thinking, I set goals for 2010. I need to pull those back up. So I pulled them back up, and I had made five goals. I had not met any of the five goals. And the first goal, I had fallen so short of it that it was just sick. It was just pitiful to even say how short of the goal. And I tell you, it put me in a funk for a while. I was very discouraged, and I just thought, what's going on here? And finally, the Lord got through, and he's like, how long are you going to be in this funk? And I said, I don't know, Lord, but, you know, I set those goals, and I didn't, I didn't meet any of them, you know? And the Lord said, am I not sovereign in your life? And I said, yes, Lord, you are. And he said, are you not doing the best you know to follow me? Yes, you make mistakes. Yes, you veer off the path. But are you not, is your heart not to follow after I said, yes, Lord, my heart is to follow after you. And he said, then those goals either weren't my will or it wasn't my timing. But I've still got you. And so I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you think by this time you should be married or you should have children by now. Or you should be retired. Maybe you think you should not even have to be working. But we will get bogged down in comparison, just comparing with where we think we should be in our own life. Maybe you think, well, I shouldn't be dealing with this, this situation again. I'm going back around this mountain one more time. And so that weight of comparison will hold us back in our race. We compare ourselves with what people have said to us instead of about us. Regardless if we want to acknowledge it or not, words are powerful. God's very clear in his word. He says, life and death and the power of the tongue. And so many of us have had, said things, have had things said to us or we've heard people have said about us and we've taken that on and we've compared ourselves. Am I, am I really like this or am I different? And it holds us back. You won't go for that promotion because someone has said, well, you'll never measure up. Or you won't finish college because someone has said, you're not smart. You won't accomplish what you set forth to you. Or you won't strike out on that business plan. Because you think, I'll never make it. People have told you you'll never amount to anything. Comparison. We do it time and time and time again in our life. And it's a scheme of the enemy. It is nothing new. In Genesis 3, okay, we're going all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 3, the enemy comes to Eve. And he's come to her and he's questioning her on what God's told her. He said, Eve, you know, did God really say you can't have any tree? And, and Eve says, no, no. He says, I can't eat of this one tree. And so in Genesis 3, 5, the enemy says, this is why. This is why God doesn't want you to eat of the tree. He said in verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. There's our comparison word right there. Like God. Listen, girls, she was already like God because in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says he created her in the image of God. 
So she was already created in the image of God, and yet she fell for that comparison, and we are reaping the consequences today of that. That's how dangerous comparison is. The Bible's very clear that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John 10, 10. And I think as Christians, we've kind of dumbed down that verse. And we think the enemy comes to upset, aggravate, and annoy us. Listen, my kids were put on the earth sometimes to upset, aggravate, and annoy me. That is not the enemy. The enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't want to scare you, but I want us to wake up and be focused truly on what God's Word says. If we allow this spirit of comparison, this weight in our life, He will steal from us. He will steal our joy. He will steal our peace. He will steal our blessings. I, um, I told you that I don't like to shop. I don't, I've, I've struggled with my weight all of my life. And so very seldom, very seldom do I look in the mirror and think I look cute. Very seldom. So I'll never forget this one Saturday night. We were going to church. Lakewood has a Saturday night service. And I remember I was getting dressed and walking by the mirror, and this thought came that, oh, you look cute tonight. And I thought, because it's such a foreign thought, maybe I do. And you know how when you feel like you look cute, you kind of walk a little different, right? You kind of carry yourself a little different. And so I will never forget, um, when you walk walk up to Lakewood Church, it's all glass, okay? And so, for lack of a better East Texas term, I was bebopping. I felt good. You know, I am like, I I am ready. And and part of our uh, being on staff is like you wear your staff badge in case anybody has any questions. So I've got my staff badge on. I am welcoming people. I am feeling good. I am feeling good. And our child, the child care there is on three different levels. And so I had gone to all three different levels of the building. I had visited with people. I had, and I'm not a naturally outgoing type person. I know y'all probably would find that strange, but I, I can do this. But if you put me in a small group of people, you know, I, I'm very quiet. Like, I'm the one that sits in their car and acts like they're putting on makeup until someone drives up that you know. And then you, like, jump out like you just got there with them so you can rock in somewhere with them. That's me. So um, for me to be doing all this, I, I was totally, you know, feeling really good about myself. And so we, we go into the sanctuary, and I'll never forget, I was looking at the bulletin to see if my bulletin announcement was in there, and I sat down and crossed my legs. Now, the auditorium at Lakewood held 16,000. And it was pretty full that night. There, there probably was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14,000. So I sat down. The music just started, and, and I was getting ready to stand back up. And my husband looks at me. He says, babe, you got on two different color shoes. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm cheap on top of all these other issues I have. So if I find something that I like or that someone tells me is in style and looks cute and I can afford it, I buy it in several different colors. So I totally remember this. It was a shoe sale, buy one, get one 50% off. So I had a black pair of boots and a brown pair. Same exact shoe, one in black, one in brown. I had one black pair and one brown pair on. So immediately the enemy comes to me and he says, would you look at all these 12,000? There's 12,000 people in here and you think you look good. And you're the only one in here with two different color shoes on. And that was probably true. I mean, he came in, he stole my peace, he stole my joy. I did not, do you think I heard anything of the worship? No, I spent the whole worship service thinking, I hope this lady doesn't bow or close her eyes. You know, and I'm like doing this to my, to my legs thinking, maybe they don't realize, you know, that this is a black shoe and this is, you know, I'm thinking, okay, let's turn the lights down low. You know, like I took, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. If I thought my husband would have left, I would have asked him to leave, but I knew he would not. So I took my staff badge off. I thought, I am not going down to pray with anybody. I hope no one, you know, here I'm just bebopped all over the whole church. So I totally lost my peace, my joy, you know, my blessing of feeling good about myself. 
And that's what comparison will do if you allow the enemy. You know, God may bless you, and you may pull up Facebook, and someone else has shared something, and the enemy will come in and go, see, God doesn't love you as much as he loves her. Look how much he blessed her. See how quickly that can come in and steal our joy? The enemy will come in and kill your dreams and desires. I promise you God has given each of you a dream or desire that he wants you to fulfill. But if you allow this spirit of comparison in your life, he, the enemy, will kill this every time in your life. I don't know what your desire is. Maybe it's to be, um, maybe it's to start a catering business. And the enemy will come in and go, oh, well, you're no Paula Dean. You better not even try that. Maybe you want to go up in your company and the enemy will say, well, you're no um, Donald Trump. You know, and the bottom line is, no, you're not. And God didn't create you to be. He created you to be you. And so if he's given you that dream and desire, then he's going to equip you to do it. But if you live your life with this spirit of comparison in your life, you will never fulfill that. And ultimately, he'll destroy who you are. I heard this statement years ago. It's never left me. And it said, they said, God created you an original. Don't die a copy of someone else. How many of us spend time, spend money trying to be like someone else and then we get to be someone that God never created us to be? He created us to be an original. He does not want us to die a copy of someone else. And so any type of comparison is wrong. Um, A lot of times we kind of come from it more of the insecurity type. But, I mean, the other side of that is pride. You know, and we totally do that. Well, you know, I may not be as skinny as her, but I'm skinnier than her. Or, or we'll do it with our sin. I'm being honest, right? We'll be like, well, my sin's not as bad as her sin. Right? And yet in God's hierarchy, sin is sin, girls. The sin of murder, yes, has more consequences than the sin of worry. But nowhere in this book does it define out different sins. It says sin is sin. All bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, but sin is sin. So we do it on both, both aspects and both type of comparison. Um, it's wrong. It's dangerous. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm getting that we've got a race to run, that, that, that this weight of comparison can be used in our life. And I said, I, I'm very practical. I am a very practical teacher. So I said, Lord, I need some tools to share with these girls. You know, in my own life, you know, I, I think this is a process. I, I dealt with comparison a lot in the physical realm. So when the Lord began speaking this to me, I, a lot of times I teach out of whatever I'm going through. 99% of the time, you know, I have not arrived. And so as he started talking to me, I'm like, I dealt with that, you know, several years ago, Lord, many years ago. You know, why are you bringing this back up? And he showed me in a different area where I was not even aware that I was doing it. And I... I, I I would like to say that God would like suddenly deliver us from that. Honestly, that's probably not going to happen. He may deliver you out of one aspect, but I think we'll have to fight not falling in this trap of comparison probably till we, till we make it to heaven because it's just so prevalent in our society. And so I said, okay, Lord, I, I need some tools. I need some tools um, to how to battle this in our life. And he gave me the, the acronym of KICK. So, so we're talking about focus on running your race and KICK comparison to the curb and so the k is and again it was taught touched on this morning i hate it when a prophet goes before <laughs> before a teacher because they'll they'll touch on things and then this morning i'm in the shower i'm like lord she talked about this and this and this do i need to change something or are you going to speak something you know different to me but mary talked about this a little bit but you got to know who and whose you are 
I heard this statement, and it said, you tend to base your self-worth on who the most important person in your life, what they think about you. You tend to base your self-worth on who, who the most important person in your life, what they think about you. So if the most important person in your life is your husband and he criticizes you, then your self-worth takes a nosedive. If the most important person in your life is your children and they're rude or disobedient or do something you don't like or don't acknowledge you or affirm you as a mother, your self-worth takes a dive. Why? Because we're all fallible. If we're looking to anyone other than the Lord to define who we are, then, then our identity is on shaky ground. And we will live our life in a roller coaster, wondering who we are. And yet God clearly defines to us in the Word who He has called us to be. In Psalms 139, verses 16 through 17, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God, that cannot be numbered. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without faults in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Girls, right there, that verse says, You were chosen, you were wanted, and you were accepted. Now, some of you, the enemy just said, not you. That applies to everybody else, but not you. To which I would tell you, you need to reaffirm, you need to renew your mind with the word. You need to take this scripture. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That second hearing is an audible sound. When you audibly set forth God's word, your mind hears it. It renews your mind. It bears witness in your spirit, and your spirit, man, begins to rise up. So I encourage you, you take that verse, and you make it personal. You say it out loud, and you put your name in it. You say, even before he made the world, God loved Adana and chose Adana in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt Adana into his own family by bringing Adana to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. If you need to say that three times a day out of your mouth until your mind is renewed, you need to do it. Because listen, girls, God's word is true. It will not pass away. God does not lie. So if he says something about you and you're saying something different, one of you is wrong. And it's not God. If God says something about you in the word and you're saying something different, one of you is wrong and it's not God. And so we have to grow up and begin to renew our mind. We've got to know who we are in Christ. That comes from reading and studying the Word. He clearly defines who we are in His Word. Clearly. It comes through prayer. It comes through seeking God. All prayer is, is talking to God. It's having a communication relationship with God. You don't have to say certain words. You don't have to be in a certain position. You don't have to pray at a certain time. In fact, God says to pray without ceasing. Well, you cannot be in a quiet place, head bowed, eyes closed, if you're going to pray without ceasing, Right? It's a communion. It's a relationship. It's with God. It's like this morning. I'm in the shower. I'm talking to the Lord about, about Mary last night and all Mary talked about. I'm like, now what, Lord? You know, and I got out of the shower and I felt like I had peace about that. And I was like, Lord, you know, the rain is really awesome, but it is wreaking havoc with this hair. You know? It's just communing with Him. It's just God's someone that, and He's laughing. He knows me. He knows what we're thinking, girls. If we're not saying it, He already knows it. So why not say it to him? And he wants to answer us in prayer 
on not just big issues. You know, sometimes we just think, well, I'll save my prayers for the big issues. And yet God says, I, I tried to find it. It's in the Psalms. I could not find it. Um, that he delights in every detail of our life. I think it's in Psalm 37. But he, he says, I delight in you. I delight in the details of your life. Um, my, my youngest two, um, they're not quite two years apart, but their birthdays are four days apart. So they just both had birthdays last week, September 6th, September 7th. So we had a busy time in the Wilson household. And my youngest is a donut addict, loves donuts. He doesn't eat candy, doesn't eat any other sweets but donuts. So he wanted me to bring donuts to school for his class. You know, like sometimes you bring cupcakes or not this child, donuts. So I was having a hard time figuring out how I was going to get donuts to his class because it was a busy season. We, were, we hosted a, a pastor's conference um, in Frisco, and th- there was just a lot going on, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get these donuts to this child's class. And, and when I get a little stretched, I don't know none of you do this, but when I get a little stretched or... Um, I wasn't really stressed, but just in my thinking, just stretched is a great word. Then I can tend to be a little short. I may, I may shut doors a little harder than necessary. Um, you know, and so people kind of notice in my household, uh-oh, something's going on with Mama because she's, you know, slamming things. And so it was, it was all over this donut issue. And so um, I just uttered, you know, not even, okay, just an utterance, not a dear Jesus, I need help with the donuts. Just like, Lord... How am I going to get these stinking donuts? I mean, that was simply my prayer. And girls, he dropped into my spirit exactly how I could fit that and arrange that in that day. And you know why? Because he loves us. He loves what concerns us. The Bible says he perfects what concerns us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to give us not just life, but an abundant life. He wants to be in relationship with us. He is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He wants to be in relationship with us. And so we've got to know who we are and whose we are. And that comes through word, it comes through prayer, and it comes through the, the presence of the Lord. It comes through praise and worship. Psalm 97.5 says, The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Listen, girls, there's nothing like getting in the presence of God and beholding who He is to make what you've got going on in your life seem insignificant insignificant. I told you that my, my youngest loves to play baseball, and he was approached about, I don't know if they do this out in Granbury, because I, I grew up in a very small town, and we did not have um, select teams or competitive, but you just played Little League until you got to high school, and then hopefully you made the high school team, okay? But in Frisco, baseball is huge, and so we have select teams, which are competitive teams that go and travel, and it costs a lot of money to have them all dress alike and all this stuff. So my youngest had been approached to, to go be on the select team. And I was really struggling about, do we do that or not? Because, again, my husband is gone um, three or four nights of the week, you know, and so it's just me. And I'm like, gosh, if we're going to be playing on the weekends, tournaments, and then playing during the week, I have two other children. Um, I have a job. I have a ministry. I have things that I love. But yet, you know how the enemy will do. But yet, if he's going to be a professional baseball player, I don't want to hold him back. You know, right? That's what the enemy says. If you don't let him do this, he's going to miss playing in the major leagues and so I was having this internal war about, okay, he's nine. Did I say that? He was actually eight at this point, about this eight-year-old playing baseball. And so I just went and got in my office, and I just, there was no music playing. There was no nothing. I just did this. And I said, okay, Lord, I cannot get this heaviness off of me. And I just said, I, I just worshiped him. I just said, God, I worship you. I thank you that you are a good God. 
Lord, I thank you that you care about my details. And I just begin to sing. And let me tell you something, girls. When you get in an attitude of worship, you begin to realize everything that's over your head is under God's feet. He's got an answer for you. And I got in that presence, and I mean, that broke, and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I'd known it all along. I just needed a little confirming. And so you don't have to be, this is marvelous. Listen, girls, there's nothing like corporate worship. Do not ever forsake corporate worship. But you can have worship in your house. You can have it in your car. You can be driving. I've been driving down the freeway before and had the most intimate time with the Lord in worship. That's where he begins to melt things down. And we begin to go, I know who I am. I know who I belong to. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I belong to the one that knows every star in the sky. I belong to the one that told the water where to stop. I belong to Jesus Christ. And so that happens in worship. So that's our K. We've got to know who and whose we are. The, the I in our kick is we've got to identify whose voice we're listening to. We all hear three different voices. The enemy's voice our own voice, and God's voice. And the enemy's voice will constantly accuse us. That's what Revelations 12.10 says. It says the enemy is there to accuse us day and night. And I was really surprised as I was searching through this. I was in the Amplified looking at something. And a lot of times in the Amplified Bible, it does not identify the enemy as the enemy or Satan. It identifies him as the accuser. That is who he is. Those accusing thoughts, you will never. You will always be this this low. God will never love you like he loves someone. Just as a constant accusing. That is the enemy's voice. Now, our voice, depending on probably hormonal where we are, can line up with the enemy's voice or with the Lord's voice, right? It's like the angel and the devil. And, 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 and how you're doing that day emotionally or, you know, if you've been in the presence of the Lord, then you may be, you know, on, on the Lord's side. If you haven't and your kids are there upset, aggravate, and annoy you, or you've been cut off in traffic, you may be on the enemy side. And so in Jeremiah, the Bible's very clear that our, that our heart is evil, is deceptive. And so we can't even depend on our own voice. But there is a voice that we need to depend on, and that is God's voice. And let me tell you how you identify God's voice. God's voice is never accusatory. John says God's voice is full of grace and truth. In Psalm um, 103, verses 8 through 10, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. We deserve to be dealt harshly with. We deserve to be accused. And yet God says he will not constantly accuse us. Listen, girls, God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. When I am mad at someone, when I am mad at my husband, like I may not take his phone calls or if he texts me, you know, like I may not return that text as quickly as I do, you know, if, if, he's, if I'm not mad at him. And yet if God was mad at us, I would never, if I'm mad at my husband, I'm not going to sacrifice my most beloved possession for him if I'm mad at him. And yet that's what God did. He sacrificed his most beloved possession for us. Not when we had it all together, but while we were lost in our sin. That's what it says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. He loves you so much that he gave his most prized possession when we were at our ugliest. So we've got to identify God's voice will not accuse us. It will not cause us to compare 
It is full of grace and truth. Now, does God convict us? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't come with condemnation. I'm sure you guys remember um, in February of this year, we had that uh, marvelous ice storm that lasted four days. And um, it was not marvelous in the Wilson household because that specific week, I had just... um, I had just began to take on facilitating the women's ministry for my campus. And so that Tuesday, I was going to go out to South Lake and meet with Pastor Debbie Morris and the, the pink team. That was going to be like my first, you know, meeting and with them. And I was all excited. I remember I had left everything. It had been quite a transition. And so this was kind of the beginning um, of, of that, that completion of that transition. So I was really excited about that. And then Wednesday, I was leaving town to go to Houston. I was going to speak at Lakewood that Wednesday. They do their women's things Wednesday night. And so I was really excited about that, just to connect with old friends and and really honestly to get away from um, my children and my house for a night, you know, you know. So I was really excited about that. And then um, Friday we were doing a a, um, leadership class at at our campus in Frisco, and I was going to teach part of that. So I had a big week. I was really excited about this week. And nowhere in my plan for that week did it say be iced in for four days. And so I don't know if you remember, it's very vivid in my mind. I may have had to have freedom over it, but... Um, at 4 o'clock, the news comes on. At 4 o'clock, it says, we are now under a winter weather warning. And I was like, what? Because before that, they were like, it's going to miss us. We won't get any of this. And so I got almost immediately a text from Pastor Jan Greenwood. And she's like, look, if we get anything, do not try to drive over here from Frisco. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, it's my first week. I really wanted to go. And and, of course, we got up the next day and, you know, just completely iced in. I had to text, you know, my boss in Houston who, you know, they never see ice. Or, you know, I'm like, look, or my ex-boss. Like, look, I can't come. We're iced in. And she's like, what do you mean you're iced in? You know, they, if they've lived there all their life, they have no concept of that. And so here I am, iced in for four days with three boys and a husband that he works, you know, at a hospital. So it doesn't matter. You go to work. So he's working nights and working longer hours trying to get people in. So he's trying to sleep during the day. We're locked in with three kids. It's so cold. They can't go outside. I have no food. I mean, I had food, but not food to feed everybody three meals a day for four days, you know, when you kind of just want some junk or something in that period. So it was not a good four days in the Wilson household. And I'll never forget that Friday night. This happened on, you know, Tuesday. I'm laying in bed watching TV. And the Lord said, how long are you going to throw this fit? (laughs) And I actually chuckled because... um, I was not laying on the floor kicking my feet, but I was laying on the floor kicking my feet on the inside, and I had been for four days. And I immediately got out of that bed, and I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You know, that's conviction. He convicted me. I repented, and we went on. He didn't say, I'm so disappointed in you. I cannot believe you have done that for the last four days. Who do you think you are? I'm not going to bless you for at least eight weeks. You're, you know, you're on probation you know, i got to watch you to see if you're going to come back up and do what I want you to do, what I've called you to be. He didn't do that. You know, the Bible says in Psalms that he knows we are yet dust. He knows we were created from dust. He convicted me. I repented, and we were all good. Now, I, I had some consequences of that because I could have spent those four days enjoying my boys, being in my PJs, not all brought up and anxious about, am I going to get to go, am I not? This is all that I'm missing. So I missed out on all that. That was my fault. That wasn't God's fault. But see, that's just conviction. It's not condemnation. He doesn't accuse us and say, when are you going to get it together? You should be beyond this. He doesn't do that to us. He simply convicts us and we go on. So we've got to identify 
whose voice we're listening to. Now, y'all stay with me, right? We're still running our race. You're focusing on running our race, and we're kicking the weight of comparison um, away from us. We're going to learn who and whose we are. We're going to identify what voice we're listening to, and then we're going to counter those voices with God's Word. When we hear those voices, which, again, I told you, God's voice will not compare you. It will not condemn you. You've got to counter it with God's Word. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it tells us exactly how we do that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're going to get the thoughts, girls, and the thoughts aren't wrong. What we do with the thoughts is where we mess up. Are we going to take them captive? Are we going to say, "Uh uh-uh, God's Word says this. God's Word says, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. God says, goodness and mercy will follow me, chase me down, and overtake me every day of my life. This is what God's Word says. So we've got to take that thought and go, "Uh uh-uh, God's Word is the truth. His Word will not return void. And so we've got to renew our mind. We've got, that's what that is called. We've got to take the Word and renew our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, that's what we do. When we get in those comparison situations, when we feel less than, is we go, what does God's Word say? We've got to know it. If you're dealing in an area, you need to find out what God's Word says. Get you a scripture. Hold on to it for dear life. Repeat it out loud. Say it over and over again. I mean, I have been known to take sticky notes and put it, like, in my car, um, like I used to, when I worked in Houston, I drove in, I faced the sun. So when I put my visor down, there was scripture all across my visor that I would confess out of my mouth. Because again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And that gets in my heart. It gets in my spirit. And so when I get pressed, when things happen, hopefully what bubbles up is God's word. And so you've got to renew your mind. It, can't, it doesn't have to be this overwhelming thing of, well, I've got to know every scripture in the Bible. No. It starts somewhere. Start somewhere. If you don't have a daily time that you read your Bible, start in Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Most months have either 30 or 31 days. Read a chapter out of the Proverbs. Okay? Read a chapter. If you have a, a, a smartphone these days, girls, they got apps for all of that. They'll send you a scripture to read every day. You know, you can get on a plan. It'll remind you, hey, you haven't read your scripture today. But get in God's Word. But you've got to renew your mind. You've got to... to, to Counter those thoughts with God's word. And then the last K, if you're going to kick comparison to the curb, is just to repeat the steps. Because again, I told you, we've just got to kick it by repeating the steps back over and over in different areas. You know, like I, I've struggled in one area, but mm, another little area the Lord will identify. So I just do this. And it's just tools. It doesn't say if you do this, this, and this, then you'll never deal with comparison because we live in a fallen world and that's not true. None of us are perfect, right? If you are, I think Mary said last night you're speaking next week or next year or whatever, you know, uh, because we're not. We're all on this journey. And so, but if you'll take those tools and use them over and over, it'll help you on your race to, to not deal with the weight of comparison. And so in closing, I have a letter I want to read to you. And you will actually get a copy uh, when you leave of this letter um, to take it home. So if you deal with it in this area, this has all of your KICKs in it because it tells you exactly who you are in Christ. It tells you who God is. Um, It identifies the voices because it's God's voice speaking to you, and it's full of Scripture. 
So I just want to read it to you. I just want you to take it in, like, like God was reading it to you. I don't sound anything like God. I sound like someone from East Texas, but I'm sure God does not sound like that. But I want you to read it. I want you to take it in. I want you to hear God's heart behind it. And then take it home. If you struggle, read it out loud to yourself several times, you know, daily until it gets into your heart. So it says to you, I want to tell you that I've known you since before the foundations of time. I even know the hairs on your head. I put you together on purpose. I looked at you and saw that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. I even created you in my image. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and future. I also gave you gifts to prepare and equip you for the plans that I have for you. These gifts I have given are irrevocable. Don't neglect them. Exercise them and stir them up. I want you to be confident about this. When I begin a good work in you, I will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Although you may encounter tribulations in this world, I want you to know that in me you have peace. So be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I am not slack or slow concerning my promises. Forever my word is settled in heaven and my faithfulness to all generations. When I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. When I've purposed it, I will also do it. You can look to me as a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Cast your burdens upon me, and I will sustain you. I shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Come unto me when you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am your rock, your fortress, your deliverer, your healer, your strength, in whom you can trust. Though you fall, you shall not utterly be cast down, for I will uphold you with my hand. Don't listen to the ungodly, don't stand with sinners, and don't sit with the scornful, but rather delight yourself all day long in my word. If you do, you will bring forth fruit in season, and whatever you do will prosper. Finally, I want you to know I love you. I love you so much that I gave my most precious gift of my son. When you believe in him, you will not die, but have healing, freedom, victory, forgiveness, and eternal life. Love your God. Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for, for what you're sharing this week in a focus, Father. You're just continuing to, to bring us as girls, Lord, onto a, a more focused part of our journey of knowing who we are, of knowing that despite our age, our race, um, our status in life, if we're married or single, God, that you've got a purpose for us, that it's a purpose that only we can fulfill. It's a race that only we can run. And so, Father, I pray for every woman that's here today. Lord, as she struggles with comparison, as she struggles in insecurity, Lord, that you would just breathe afresh on her, God. That the word of God would become more real to her than her feelings or her thoughts, God. That the word of God would be so ingrained in her, Father, that it would rise up, it would counter any negative thought, any untruth that is not you. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would do that over every woman that's here tonight. Pastor Debbie has said that the prayer ministry team can, can come to the front. And so I just want to encourage you, if you want personal prayer, personal, y'all can come on and come. I don't know if she told you that we were going to do that, but, but, but I, had a, I had in my heart, you know, this is a, sometimes a sensitive issue, you know, and sometimes we just need some one-on-one -on -one prayer. And so I want to encourage you, if you deal with this, or if you've got anything you're dealing with this weekend, you know, you've had a lot of great teaching this weekend, a lot. 
So maybe there's some prayer, some, some change, something you need to work through and pray with someone about. So we just want to encourage you to, to do this at this time. Um, if, if not, you're, you're free to go, and dinner is at 5 in, in the foyer. Okay? Thank you.
in my soul. 